This is Life, Body, Business, Impact with Fatima. Welcome, friends. I am so grateful to have you here. I'm your host, Fatima Ingalls, fitness expert, best-selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of the Life, Body, Business, Fit Systems, and co-founder of the amazing Freedom Retreats. My mission is to positively impact 10 million lives, to inspire you to wake up and live from your bucket list of dreams instead of waking up one day with a bucket list of regrets. Get ready to be inspired with weekly episodes and interviews that disrupt your thinking and motivate you to build your best life, body and business. To change one life is to change many. So come with me now and let's get started with yours. Hey guys, before we dive into today's episode, you have the chance to win one of three Equalizer Bluetooth headphones. Perfect for listening to the podcast, listening to YouTube or your favorite music while you're working out. All you need to do is rate and review and subscribe to the show. Then hit the link down below in the show notes. It'll let me know that you've done that and you're in the draw to win. So let's go check out today's episode. Get ready for the first episode of 2020. Sam Greco is in the house, 30 years professional fighter. He is a world champion in kickboxing, in karate. He's a Commonwealth champion, 147 fights, 131 wins, 11 losses, 3 draws and 2 no contests. Now, it takes a special kind of person to be able to fight bare knuckle and be an undisputed world champion. Sam is an Australian, Italian-born in Melbourne. Now, he is not only a fighter and a world champion, he is also a very successful business person and actor, acting in several roles in movies and in TV series, such as Underbelly and Scooby-Doo. So, Sam is talking to us today about his campaign of being a fighter and that everybody is a fighter. He has this great passion and drive to not be just a world champion in the ring, but a world champion of a person. He believes that adversity is a great thing. It's not something that we should not be happy about having. He is super successful in the ring, outside of the ring, and he shares with us some of the lessons that he has applied from fight preparation and being in the ring to life and to his business endeavors. So sit back, grab a pen and paper and enjoy this entertaining interview. Sam, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you with us today. It's great to be on here. Sam, I'd love to start with, there's so many things that we can talk about today, but I'd love to start with talking a little bit about your career. What have you achieved in your career as a fighter in all those disciplines? I mean, it is such a broad question you're asking, what have I achieved? I think in life, I've achieved a lot of lessons, life lessons more than anything else through my experiences in sport as a professional sports person. That's predominantly number one. But I mean, overall, I've received, I achieved world championship status through, you know, just martial arts in general, whether it be full contact karate, I became a world champion then, whether it be kickboxing at number one level in the world in K1, being a world champion also there, and also experienced and dabbled in the MMA world. Um, obviously didn't have a world championship in the MMA world because it was sort of cut short because of injuries, um, but also in the wrestling world, in the American wrestling world, the WCW. So, um, I mean, my achievements overall, I think, was putting the world championship side aside, winning belts and so on. I think the experience is what, uh, is what I've gained the most out of in life lessons. We'll go back to discussing more of that, but how did you come to be a fighter? What, how did you grow up? What was your social circle in your childhood like? Because you're from 
a boy from Melbourne or a man from Melbourne. Yeah. How did you come to be this champion fighter? What was your, your childhood like? I, I think, you know, my childhood was, uh, was very fast and growing, so to speak, and I was a very cheeky child. Probably not any more cheeky than anyone else, but I had my own demons, you know, as a little kid. I've always wanted to test the boundaries, and um, I mean, a classic example, my parents would say, don't do this, and when they turned their back, what did I do? I'd go and test the waters, and sure enough, I got in trouble. I had a very strict upbringing, you know, mind you, growing up, you know, in a household, being European, Italian, growing up in a household in Brunswick in the 70s was quite hard, and having strict parents. I mean, my parents migrated over here with absolute nothing and made something of themselves and put a roof over their head and food on the table. So they did the hard way. So I think growing up, we weren't going to be any different. My parents, you know, constantly wanted me to be educated, number one. And then if I wasn't going to be educated in terms of school, uh, stylistically, you know, they wanted me to go to work. It was simple. Um, And it was about, you know, getting a job after you finish school and, um, you know, uh, progressing through that. And then finally finding a partner, getting married, having a job, getting married, having kids and Bob's your uncle. That's predominantly how, how it all, uh, what they wanted. But it's not what I wanted. You know, that was the whole thing. It, I mean, for me, sport within itself, I played soccer professionally as a young kid for nearly 10 years. I played at the top level here in Australia. I was one of the youngest players to play it in the NSL, which was what the A-League is today in Australia. And um, I had a contract issue in the latter stages of uh, my career in the 10th year. And unfortunately, that determined whether I was going to play soccer or not. My parents didn't have the finances to fight it. Contractually, didn't have the you know, finances to, 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 to fight it or beat it. So dad pulled me out and said, you know what, son, your sister's doing martial arts. Why don't you try martial arts? I hated it, you know, at the age of... Really? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like it. I tried it. I tried a small spell of it at the age of nine years old. And uh, I said, no, I didn't want to do it. But back at the age of 15 to 16 years of age, I went back and purely dad, she had some similarities with martial arts. It was purely around discipline and honour and, and, and so on. And um, that's why he brought me in there, obviously for self-defence too. I went there and I've got to tell you, the first month was... was for me, was was horrific. It was doing something that I really didn't want to do because obviously I had soccer in the back of my head and I can always get back, I can always get back. But sure enough, as time went on, I started to take a liking to it. I despised the discipline at the start because I got enough of that at home. I thought, why do I have to get it here dressed in a white suit? Mm-hmm. You know. So look, at the end of the day, um, for whatever it was worth, I turned the corner um, as a young kid in there and um, really started to take a liking to it and then started training competitively and started competing in state tournaments and taking out state tournaments, you know, year after year after year, international tournaments, taking out those in year after year, you know, became a six-time back-to-back Australian champion and state champion at the time. And I thought, wow, if I can keep going here and, and, you know, just keep training hard and get great knowledge, I can be whatever I want. And the moment I said that, that whole world championship or the world champion sort of came to mind, you know, and what does an individual have to do to become a world champion? And then I didn't have all the answers to, but I had to resource it. And uh, I got the appropriate people, even as a youngster, I started having sort of this entrepreneurial mind also. Um, and I gathered information and went out of my comfort zones and didn't train like anyone else, trained better than anyone else. I always you know, pulled the rug from under me all the time, so I wasn't, I wasn't settled. I basically had to improve every single day or every single training session. How did you do that? How did you improve every single day to become this champion? Because there were two things, there were a few things really important there. One of well, them first is your self-talk. You said that you, once you sort of consider that world championship as being a possibility things change for you in your mind. So how important is that self-talk for anyone wanting to achieve anything any, any better than where they're at in their life, body or business? And mm. secondly, how did you pull the rug out from under yourself and push yourself to be better every day? Well, first of all, you know, I always say um, in order to be the best, you need to try the best. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to believe what you what you're actually want to achieve. And goal placing is a key element. Um, I mean, like I said, I didn't have all the answers, but I spoke to you know, professional people in, in those days and they sort of gave me a plan of attack. 
and it, was, it wasn't always successful. It was, I failed. I probably failed more times than I was successful, but that's what's made my success so great. The fact that I kept going irrespective, you know, of falling down. You know, I got back up and I asked, you know, what did I do wrong? And they sort of put things into place until I finally started to understand it. But you've got to have a hunger. I think the, the key thing for me was I wanted to be the best at what I did whenever I did it. And I always ask myself the questions. It was a youngster. You know, what are the others doing? Am I doing them? And I, I put whatever they're doing into place for me. But I'd always tweak it. Always. There was always an edge with whatever I did. It's the same as it, it was a, I had a self-competition against myself. You know, the only opponent was. Love that. Yeah, the only opponent, you know, when I wake up in the morning is me. That's the only opponent I've got. I've got to be better than what I was yesterday. Simple. And in terms of even in gym, you know, a lot of people get in there and you see people, they get into it, they do six to eight to ten reps. I'm a freak when I get going. I'm 15, 20, 25. I just blow things out of the water purely because it makes me feel great. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel mentally strong and physically. You know, it makes me not normal because I don't want to be normal. I know who wants to be normal, right? (laughs) I want to be different. I want to be, you know, I want to go down in history amongst my friends and family and that guy was absolutely crazy, but in in a good sense. You know, there was never any barriers. I knew there there was barriers and I knew what was right and what was wrong. And as a kid, I tested the waters and as an adult, I did, but it was a bit more calculated. But surrounding yourself with good people, even at a young age, was essential for me. I think I, and I did that because... Number one, I wanted to be successful. Number two, <laughs> I feared my dad. Not, not feared in a bad sense, but um, feared of, you know, doing something wrong. Because like I said to you earlier on, I grew up in Brunswick in a really rough and tough area in the 70s. And a lot of my friends today, uh, or mates or acquaintances, whatever you want to call them, are either dead, in jail or absconded. So that was the, the era that I grew up in. But thank God for my sport within itself is what took me away. Yeah, that's really, really important. And it was a question that I was going to ask you in relation to the social circle that you were in, obviously being in Melbourne, like you said, being rough and tough. And I mean, you yourself have featured in series like The Underbelly and playing some rough and tough kind of characters in some, some screen shows. So you answered the question, I guess, that your sport and your discipline from your dad is what saved you in choosing to be around different people? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And you know what? But you can't do any of that if you don't have the intent, if you don't have the goal. If you can't visualise where you want to be tomorrow, how can you prepare today? That is so important. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. And, you know, and I, did, I learned that as a very young kid. I didn't want to be a follower. I wanted to be a leader. You know? And I'm not just saying it today because of where I am. I always wanted to be a leader. I always wanted to be the best. I wasn't afraid of failure. But what I was afraid of was not trying. To me, you know, that was the sort of things that, that got, got me up and going. You know? I didn't care about saying, oh, you didn't succeed in that. No, but for me, this, this tomorrow, it's not the be all end all. You know, you speak to any professional athlete around the world or up-and-coming athletes, and they'll, they'll tell you the same. They'll probably fail more times than what they are successful. But, hey, you keep going. That's what makes you so great. That's what makes me stand out amongst the rest. That is something that a lot of people that uh, I've spoken to and interviewed, not just sports people, but people in um, different businesses and, and very successful in their own right, whatever it is they do, they've often said that they've failed more times than they, that they've succeeded, but that through those failures, they've had their biggest lessons that have been so impactful in where they've gotten to in their lives. So it sounds like the same thing for you. Yeah, look, without a doubt. I mean, I said to you before, and I'll say it again, my ultimate goal was to become a world champion. But what's greater than me being a world champion is me being a world champion person. I love that. All these, has all these, you know, life experiences. And I can sit with you and talk about things like this. I, I actually, probably you don't know this, but even though I do, you know, personal training and, and, and motivational speaking, I deal with a lot of, you know, drug rehab people and, uh, you know, and I have a lot of clients and I enjoy working with them. I take this emotional, I take an emotional interest in these individuals because I believe everyone has an opportunity in life. Everyone has a will, where there's a will, there's a way. And it's just a matter of, you know, these guys are falling off, falling off the rail. That's all well and fine, but I don't judge people. You know, 
I'm there to help people. And like I said, if I can change 1% of their life, that's 1% better off than what they were before they met me. Believe it or not, a lot of these guys I've changed through working out, through training, getting them involved in sport, yeah. making them believe in themselves, that they are value to society. Um, giving them hope. I, that. Yeah, giving them hope, changing the group of friends. You know, my, my parents always used to say to me, my mum used to say to me, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. And that, I've never, ever forgotten that. And she was um, right on point. It's so powerful. Yeah. You see all the, um, you know, all your Tony Robbins, all your motivational pe- um, speakers and big names out there, they say the same sort of thing, the things that our parents used to say to us, which is so, so true. Simple, but extremely powerful. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Look, as a youngster, even though I said I was a delinquent growing up, you know, and you thought probably, you know, I wasn't taking things in, I was. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there'd be days where I'd go by when, I'm old, when I was older and the penny would drop. The penny would drop and I'd think, wow, now I understand. You know, my parents used to say to me, my mum used to say, I love you, son, you know, my, even my dad also, more so from my mum. But, and I could never understand that until I had kids. And she used to say to me, she goes, when you have kids, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And sure enough, you know, and that's something the most simplistic that we take for granted, that all of a sudden now the penny drops, I've got kids, and I look at my kid and I say, you know, I love you, you know. Now I know what it means. Yeah. So it's the most simplistic things in life that make the biggest impact later on. Yeah, it's true. The way I like to look at it is, you know, like a ladder. You can't get to the top of that ladder with all the, without taking each step. And each of those steps is all the little lessons, all the little things that we do consistently and persistently on a daily basis to get us yeah. to that big picture goal, that big thing that you think it is that you want to achieve. So, so many um, pieces of gold in there, Sam. Thank you so much. I would love for you to speak a little bit more about I Am A Fighter, the I Am A Fighter movement. What is that about, that campaign? Why did you start it? The reason why I started the I Am A Fighter campaign is purely, first of all, it's based off my whole career, my whole life career. And when I say career, I include growing up in my career. It's not about my sporting career. Um, The life lessons I learned as a youngster all the way through. Basically, the I'm a fighter campaign, I believe everyone has the fighter in them. Every single person on the face of this earth that's living and breathing today has a fighter in them. It's whether we can get that person out in time of need or it could be just life, it could be in business or anything else. The reason why I put this together because I believe that, I believe in that never give up attitude, you know, and the I'm a fighter means, it means about creating an individual who never gives up not just in uh, not just in sporting career, but in their life, in life in general, in your everyday, whether it be a mother, whether it be a father, whether it be a young kid, whether it be an adult, whether it be someone in rehab or whatever, you know, it's about fighting against adversity. It's about fighting harder when the chips are down, and etc. Et so to me, it's about creating an individual. It's about making a world champion fighter, a world champion person who believes in themselves through the good and the bad. So, you know, under the I'm a Fighter campaign, why I come up with it, um, it encapsulates a lot of those little things that I've just mentioned to you just a minute ago. And for, for me, the strongest asset an individual could have is the mind. So me, it's about breeding a strong mind in every individual that I come across. And that was the I'm a Fighter campaign. That's why I started it. I want people to believe in themselves. I want them to believe in what they do. I want them to say, it's okay not to be okay. I want them to say, okay, I've hit the ground. What do I do? If I can see daylight, I can get back up. It's about getting back up. Unfortunately, in life and the way society is, we're breeding at times a weak society, you know? But it's about instilling those, some of those old values back in and what it took me to be a fighter. Not a physical fighter as punching and kicking. Is about, I'm talking about the fighter, about the one that doesn't want to give up, the ones that want, wants to be successful in life or in health or whatever it may be. You know? yeah. So, so that's facing like, adversity and, I mean, we all face adversities in life, some more than others. And again, life, family, business, career, you know, yourself as a fighter, you may have faced adversity. You mentioned having injuries before and still getting up and 
and you keep going. So I guess there's so many lessons that you could take from preparing to fight in the ring to to life. So I love the the campaign of I am a fighter, and I really love what you mentioned a couple of times there, as in creating world champion people, being a world champion person yourself, and creating world champion people. I think that is so so powerful, simple but powerful. Yeah. Everyone deserves everyone deserves an opportunity. Everyone deserves a right to be that particular person. Everyone deserves a right to be the best version of themselves every single day. And But what I try to instill into people is no one else can do it by you. And sometimes you're going to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to hurt. You know, sometimes you're going to cry. Sometimes you're going to laugh. Sometimes you're going to feel morbid in this whole thing. Yeah. But guess what? That's part of the experience. That's part of the train you're on. That's the journey. Thank God there's peaks and valleys in life. Thank God there's peaks and valleys, you know, in what we do, even in the I'm a Fighter campaign, because... You've got to, in life, there's the rights and wrongs. You couldn't appreciate the good if there weren't any bad. Oh, my God. You're speaking my language, Sam. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't, you know, and I always say, and this is some of the stuff I do in my motivational stuff, I look at people, you know, and I say, how can you appreciate the good when you never appreciate the bad? How can you appreciate height when you've never been at the bottom? Beautiful. And vice versa. You know, so come on, guys. You know, this is, this is something we all want growing up. Everyone wants this glamour life. Everyone wants this life that, you know, you wake up in the morning, you draw those curtains and the sun's shining. And it's fantastic. And, you know, you can go sit down and, 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 and have, have a coffee with your friends and family and laugh and everything else. And, you know, you dial into your phone and, you know, social media followers are going absolutely ballistic in there. You've got millions of followers and all of a sudden you have a look at your bank account and there's thousands of millions of dollars in there. That's the perfect scenario, isn't it? Well, guess what? It doesn't happen like that. And the no. quicker we get up, you know, and kick ourselves in the butt and say, right, what do I need to do to be the best version of myself today and plan for tomorrow? And whoever, you know, listening to Sam, ask yourself, what do you have to do to be the best version of yourself? I think it's a really good exercise to go through and you might have to sit with it for a minute and, and think about it and get uncomfortable because like I mentioned before, you've got to get uncomfortable if you want to, if you want to change things in your life. But I'm going to ask you something. And this is a question that I ask people. Um, I often get people come to me for advice and everything else. They've had probably problems through their family or sport or whatever it may be. But one in particular person came to me who was having a relationship issue. Now, I'm no psychologist or anything. You know, I, I'm Sam Greco. And like I said to you, um, I'm just the normal person that everyone sees, you know, every day and, and so on. But one of the questions I asked this gentleman, he says, I'm not sure what to do, where to go and so on. And one of the questions I asked was this. I said, who are you? And you, yeah. And, and you know, the majority of times you probably wouldn't be able to answer straight off. No, I guess people, what people do is they say, I'm a mother, I'm a husband, I, you know, they'll exactly. mention their career. Oh, that's what I always used to say. I'm like, I'm such and such as wife, I work at such and such place, I'm a mum yeah. of so many kids, whereas I don't do that anymore. I'm just, I'm just me, I'm just Fatima, I'm a person who wants to make an impact on other people's lives and use my own adversities to Great. help impact other people's lives in a positive way, instead Great. of labelling yourself. Yeah. yeah, so when I say who are you, it sort of, it means... I'm probably more, you know, revolving around the aspect of how, who do you see yourself as? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want to represent in life? What do you want to represent to your kids? What do you want to represent to your family? What do you yeah. want to represent to the world? You know, and in, in saying that, you know, ask yourself, do I actually have that aura around me? Don't worry about what you could be. Worry about where you are today and how we can fix it and how we can be better. Does the light shine off you of, you know, does that aura, does that aura come off you as being being this happy person, there's, there's the aura of shine off you as being a successful person or someone who helps or, or whatever. Do you know when you walk around people and you, you see someone and there's this, there's this shine and there's this aura about them? Yes, absolutely. That's the type of stuff that I'm talking about. It's about creating, creating it in yourself, instilling it in yourself, that you've got to believe it. 100%. And I think, I think it's as simple as, you know, it's so simple to start and it's by doing good in some small way for others. So 
one thing I would send my um, sons off to school with and say to them quite often is, remember, it's never wrong to do the right thing. Exactly. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And if that means walking past something that has dropped and no one else picks it up, pick it up and put it where it's supposed to be. Just because no one's looking doesn't mean that you don't do the right thing all the time. And they start doing that and they start feeling good about themselves. And I think it's as simple as that, as simple as, as smiling, as helping someone during the day, holding a door, picking something up for them. That's how small it has to be to start that feeling of, of light and, and yeah, drawing lightness to yourself like you, were, like you were talking about. One of the great, while thoughts on that, I mean, it's fantastic that you're actually telling your kids that. And one of the greatest things that, and one of the things that I, I say a lot of, you know, people see me at my cafe working and they go, God, you know, you say that to everyone. I said, you know what? I've been taught this. It doesn't cost me a cent to be nice to people, but it can cost me two if I'm not and reputation yeah. and everything else. And I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. Yeah. Because if I have to, you won't see that I'm fake. But when yeah. I want to, you know that I'm not. And for me, one of the greatest gifts I can give you, if I can give anyone out in the general public, is a hello and a smile. I love that. I challenge people on the plane, on the, um, not the plane, the, if I ever go into the city and I decide to get a train for a seminar or something, I actually sit there because people are on their phones and stuff and I am just trying to get anyone to smile. I'll sit there and try and get a smile out of anyone because it excites me that that smile, I don't know where it's going to travel to, how far it's going to go just by smiling at someone. And a friend, a social worker once told me the best thing you can do for people living on the streets is not to ignore them, is to acknowledge them because so many people walk past and don't even acknowledge their existence. And that stuck with me. That's almost 10 years ago. And I've done a fair bit of work, my sons and I, um, helping people out in the streets. I'm not going to talk about that now, but just acknowledging people. And they, you may be the only person who acknowledges, particularly people who, who are doing it tough and living on the street, um, you may be the only person who acknowledges that person as a person and being there, not just as like a bench on the sidewalk that gets completely ignored. So, yeah. It, 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 and then it brings me back to the point of my I'm a fighter campaign of what it stands for. Everyone's fighting a fight that you and I don't know about. Exactly. And that's you, you, it's important to be. It's important to be nice and genuine. More genuine than nice to yeah. someone. You know, if you've got something bad to say, don't say it. Mm. Something good and constructive, or you want to criticise someone, make sure it's constructive criticism. Speaking about adversities and being a fighter, what sort of mm. major adversities? What are some of the biggest adversities that you've had to face yourself, Sam? The last eighteen months of my life have probably been my biggest adversities. You know, um, suffering two heart attacks and going undergoing triple bypass um, heart surgery was probably the biggest for me. But one of the ones that was stands out um, was twenty years ago. Um, I was getting ready for a world title fight in Japan in nineteen ninety nine. I was getting ready for a world title fight, and, and, and um, I was about three weeks out training in Melbourne to go to Japan. And I get a phone call from my mother saying, "Dad's not well. Dad's ill." We rushed into hospital and I asked him what's wrong. And she says, it's his heart. And I said, what do you mean it's his heart? She goes, you, you might want to come down. I said, is everything all right? She goes, no, look, you better come down. So I raced down to the hospital and this is in between training sessions. And um, sure enough, I get there and dad's got some major heart issues. He's got blockages, severe blockages. I knew he had some pre-existing conditions with his heart because they tried to put stents in his heart, but obviously didn't work. So created blockages again. And dad had to undergo uh, whatever they call it, a quintuple, was five bypasses all in one hit. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so to me now, here's a guy, uh, a young guy who is just getting ready for a fight of his life uh, over in Japan against one of the big world champions. Um, I'm three weeks out. I'm in my prime shape, mentally, physically, you name it. And all of a sudden, I've been struck down by this. You know, automatically, I just switch off from the fight completely. And, you know, family first. And I remember ringing my trainer and, and I said to him, I said, Paul, I said, this and this has happened. He said, Sam, he goes, don't even think about the fight. Forget about the fight. He goes, you can fight any time in your life. Your dad's there once and once only. He goes, make sure you look after him, which was quite reassuring from my trainer. At least he was supporting the fact, you know, he wasn't being yeah. greedy. Or anything. And I remember going into the hospital. This is a little 
for, you know, a day before the operation, I walked in and he's lying on the bed. And the first thing he says to me, he says, how's your training going? This is my dad telling me. I said, dad, it's not. Oh, wow. I said, it's not dad. I said, um, let's worry about you. He goes, no, son. He goes, I'll be fine. He goes, I promise you, he goes, I'm going to be fine. And I said, dad, I said, let's worry about you first. Get through the other side and then I'll consider it. If not, I can do it again. He goes, you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, I am. Anyway, I remember a priest walking in that room and I was turning around and my mum said, I said, what the hell is he doing here? Mum goes, oh, they bring him in. It's, he's from the chapel here at the church. Basically, they come in to give him the last blessings, the confession, the last word, just in case he doesn't make it through the other side. Yeah. I mean, at that particular time, my mum told me that the first instinct I wanted to do was punch right in the face. Yeah. My gut instinct was that, but it was the wrong one. And obviously, and then I understood why he was there. Looking at my dad, once the priest left, I said, well, you'll be fine, dad. And he says, oh, he goes, no worries, son. He goes, but please do me a favour. He goes, go fight that world title for me. You know? And I said, dad, don't worry about it. You know, so this adversity was just building up for me with this, this whole thing. It was just building and building and building. I just couldn't even think about the fight. He was, but I wasn't. And I remember him going into surgery and I saw dad probably about three or four hours after surgery. He looked like death warm up in the ICU unit. It was unbelievable. And um, I remember uh, standing beside his, his bed and talking to the nurse. He hadn't woken up yet and he had pipes through his chin, uh, through his, uh, his throat, through his neck, through his arms, through the middle of his chest, just more pipes than a plumber could ever, ever put out. It was just ridiculous. And it looked like death warmed up. And I thought, wow. And I said, is he going to be all right? And he goes, look, he'll be fine. He's, you know, he's in, he's, he's in uh, under care at the moment, so he'll be fine. And I remember I started breaking down inside. I thought to myself, oh, my God, this could happen to anyone, absolutely anyone. And when he came to, this was several hours later, he finally came to and I, he met, he, I started talking to him just briefly. And um, I didn't get much out of him, so I let him rest. I went back the next day to see him. And we were talking. And the first thing he said to me, he said, son, he goes, it's not nice on the other side. Wow. I said, what are you, said, what are you talking about that? He goes, it's dark. He goes, you don't want to be there. He goes, enjoy your life. I said, what are you talking about? He says, it's not nice. He says, I had these feelings. He goes, it's not nice. So those things sort of stuck in my head. And I thought, wow. You know? Anyway, the next thing he said to me, he, says, he said, son, he says, are you going to go and fight this world title? I said, no, dad. I said, I want you to get well. It's only been three days now. Come on. He goes, please, will you do it for me? He goes, I'm depending on you. He goes, it'll make me feel better. So I rang my trainer that night and I said, Paul, we're off. He goes, what are you talking about? We're off. He goes, look after your family. He says, that's what dad wants me to do. He says, are you sure? And I said, yeah. So we were off literally two days later. I said my goodbyes to dad and I went to Japan and, you know, through all the hardship I went through there, I didn't know how all this was going to sit when I got into Japan, whether it was going to affect me or not. And look, dad was in good spirits. I sort of kept in contact with him by phone and everything else, but it still was in the back of my mind. And uh, I remember getting ready for the, the title fight over there and, you know, the crowds were building up and everything else. And before I knew it, it was a day before the fight. I remember walking into the fight that day with dad on my head all the way through. And mind you, it was something that was drawing. It was, it was very magnetic, if that made sense. My gut, it was just constantly had dad in my, in my head saying, you know, do it for me, son. Come on, I can, you can get through this. If I got through the surgery, you can get through this. And talking about one of the, being a fighter in one of the biggest fights of my life, I remember jumping in the ring. And as a fighter, you have a trainer for a reason. You have a coach for a reason. You have a mentor for a reason. And you get these instructions. And my instructions were quite simple. You know, stick a move on this guy. He's a big heavyweight. You know, we'll start powering it up in the second round. But have a feel of him in the first round. And mix no more than four punches with him. That were my exact instructions. I went into the fight. The fight took off. And um, I started mixing more than four punches with this guy. Before I knew it, I was laying flat on my back looking at the ceiling. He hit me with a right hand, nearly put me asleep. And my body was feeling like lead. And all I could hear was the referee going, 
one, two. And I'm thinking, really slowly. Slowly, and I'm going, come on, Sam, get up. Come on. And my body was just like lead, and I couldn't lift my body off the ground. I could lift my head off, and I could hear this piercing voice from the corner. Get up, Sam was my trainer. Everyone sounded like, I was listening through muffled ears. Everyone sounded like they were submerged underwater at the time. And I, I remember the referee going six, seven. I got to one knee and I stood up and I was like standing, I was like a flag on a windy day. Yeah. And he says, are you okay? And as a fighter, still to this very day, I can't recall any fighter saying, no, I'm not okay, ref. That's what fighters do. We're warriors. We're samurai. So that's what we do. We fight, you know, irrespective of whether on one leg, one hand, whatever. You know, call it whatever you want. But I said, yeah, I'm fine. The guy come rushing straight happy. I kicked him and I fell over because I was just in balance. My legs were just being shot. And then the bell went. And I remember going back to the corner. I was walking back to the wrong corner at the time. And the referee grabs me and says, no, Sam, go to the opposite corner. And I went back to the opposite corner where my trainer was. He goes, Sam, he goes, what's happening? He reckons the first 20 seconds of that conversation was like he was talking to a blank canvas until he grabbed me. He says, are you with me? And I said, yeah, I'm right. He says, listen, what were my instructions? And he went through this whole ordeal. And he says, I want you to go in the second round. He says, I want you to weather the storm. Get your legs back. He goes, and we'll pick it up in the third, fourth, and fifth round. I said, no worries, Paul. So I did that. I went out, listened to his instructions, and I did that. Mike Bernardo, the guy I was fighting, didn't capitalize on that knockdown. He should have, but he didn't. When I came back after the second round, ready to go after the third, I was giving my instructions. And as the, the voice over the mic comes and said, seconds out, which means we're ready to go again, my trainer gave me instructions, and I was about to walk off, and he grabs by the arm. And at that particular time, he turns around, and he says to me, your dad's depending on this. And that was the key moment that changed my whole life, that in fact, he reminded me what I was fighting for. And for three rounds, I punched holes in Mike Bernardo as if I was fresh and went on to win a world title. And the first thing I said was, thanks, Dad. So it was one of those things, you know, you're talking about being a fighter, you've got to find those points. You've got to have good people around. If you can't relate to it, you've got to find people who will make you relate to it and pick you up when you're down. And I was down and out. You know, you want to talk about monumental moments in your life? That was probably one of the most monumental moments. And you want to talk about being a fighter, that sort of, sort of determined who the fighter was in me, not the one that was punching and kicking. It was those particular moments. And, you know, you know that was the biggest, one of the biggest adversity outside the last 18 months of my life. And sure enough, history has it. You know, 20, 20 21 years later, son has heart issues and has triple bypass. How coincidence is that? Yeah. What a coincidence, you know? So, you know, out of adversity, you know, people see adversities as negativity. People see adversities as, oh, my God, it's so bad. It's not bad. It's challenging. You want to be challenged every day. It keeps you on your toes. You want to, be, you want to know how you can be the better version of yourself every single day. You know, I don't mind. I told you that before. I, I just don't like not trying. Yeah. I couldn't leave this world knowing that I didn't give it my all. Yeah, so powerful what you've just shared. And I thank you for sharing that, you know, very personal story and journey and, you know, a few major things out of that. It's like um, your coach and your mentor has obviously been and this is so why I say for you. Yeah, this is why I say to you, it's so important that the people you have around you actually know who you are and what you represent, what you stand for. I want people around me that, that are genuine. I want people around me that if Sam Greco makes a mistake, they tell me, how I can fix it and what I did wrong. Yeah. That if I'm playing up, they kick me in the backside and say, hey, pull your head in. Yeah. They're sort of around me. I don't want people to, well, you know, while I'm being an absolute idiot, they're packing on the back, say, yeah, keep going, mate, you'll be fine. They're not the sort of people I don't want to be around. No. Those people want, aren't friends and they don't, they don't want the best. No. Those people don't want the best for you. I want people who inspire me. I want, I want to be around successful people, not just in business, but in life. They're the people that inspire me. I want to know what you did to be where you are today. And I want to do better. 
yeah, they're, they're the sort of things that, that, that I want to do. I, I don't want to be around the average. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be average. Fuck being average. There's too many of them around. Yeah, look, we weren't born. I don't think any of us were born to be average. We're all born with something, you know, with some beautiful um, skills and, and a purpose. It's a matter of working out what that purpose is. And you had purpose and it drove you. And it's driven you, I think, to achieve such amazing things and not, not just achieve what you have done, but all the lives that you have impacted by what you have been able to achieve, how you're able to inspire and, and change other people and help them change their own lives and believe in themselves. And that has a massive ripple effect. Coming back to my philosophy of change one life, change many. What you've done with your life has impacted God knows how many lives. Yeah, and that's exactly. I'll, I'll probably never know how many have impacted. No, you I'd, won't. I'd like, to, I'd like to think that I've impacted a lot. But to, to me... That's what being successful is. You know, in this day and age, the way society's been created, the, the way we are all being created, you know, I think, I think to myself, geez, the kids of today have changed. The kids of today haven't changed. We've changed. Yeah. <laughs> kids are still pushing the boundaries. I mean, you have children yourself, a little bit older. My teens are definitely pushing my boundaries almost every single day, I tell you right now. <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing. And this is, you've got to come to a realisation of who's changing as well. We have. You know, I can't. I'd like to say I'd like to implement some of the things that my parents did growing up, but it'd be seen as being wrong in this day and age. So I've got to work out another way to implement it. You know, it didn't, it didn't make me a bad person. It kept me down the straight and narrow, let me tell you. I wouldn't have been here talking to you today if that was the case. Yeah. If I chose the other path, I wouldn't, you wouldn't be having an interview with me. Simple. I was so like, I'm, hey. grateful, I'm grateful for all those things. I'm grateful for those hard times. I'm grateful that, you know, I copped the whack on the backside when I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no regrets, no regrets, not one. In fact, probably I should have caught more. There you go. You know, and my kids, when I talk to my kids, when I talk to the younger generation today, they go, oh my God, you couldn't do that today. No, you're right. You probably couldn't. Yeah. But it was a lesson to be learned. You know, I didn't turn out to be a bad kid. No. And look at what you've gone on to achieve. And, and you're a happy person who is also um, impacting, like we said before, so many lives through what you've been able to achieve. And, and if that meant you had a little bit of tough love and discipline from your parents, back in the day, which is something that may not be acceptable nowadays, you haven't got a problem with it, so I don't see why anyone else should. <laughs> yeah, look, it's, it's, it was, we've had this conversation before, um, you know, we've sitting around over the years with people and, you know, some agree, some disagree with them. But I say to people, look, just believe what you want to believe as long as it makes you happy. At the end of the day, you can put a smile on your face. That's okay. You know, I'm not going to judge you for it because you don't believe what I'm telling you or you don't want to understand what I'm telling you. That's fine. That's fine. I don't need to live in your body. You don't need to live in mine. I'm just saying, but if I can draw positivity out of what you're telling me, man, oh, I'll take it, you know? Beautiful. With your lessons in the ring and training, you're also a successful business person. So what are some of the lessons that you've been able to take out of fighting in the ring and preparing to take on these physical fights and apply them to your business life to create successful business? I think, I think one of the key aspects is respect. Yeah. Respect and integrity. Um, it's one of the two greatest things you've got to have being... Um, especially a, a fighter where it's a man-on-man or it's a hand-on-hand combat. Um, they're the sort of things that I've taken on in, in business also. They're the first and foremost things, you know, learn to respect people and have integrity and um, you'll get the best out of people. But more so, it's just the constant drive. It, 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 the sport within itself taught me to keep driving, keep learning, keep, you know, knowledge is so powerful, you know, even through the sports that you know, I apply it to my business constantly. Um, never be afraid to learn, irrespective. Um, knowledge is powerful you know you, you can learn 20 different things and if you used to utilize one put 90 on the shelf don't throw them out you might use them another day you know the penny might drop another day so um, they're the sort of things about being understanding who the person is believing in yourself they're the sort of things that the sport has and my career has taught me 
to transition into my business. And obviously, every business is different. Yeah, every business is different. But those, those things that I have mentioned, it's not stuff that you have to go to school to study. It's stuff that you need to physically go through, mentally and physically go through in your life. Yeah, no, you're right. About it. Different, but I think those things that you mentioned, they're things that are important in every business, regardless of what sort of business it is. You know, your respect, your integrity, not knowing it all and learning. If you want your business to grow and to thrive, even your career, these are all things that we can all apply to areas of our lives that, that we want to improve. And I, I mean, I've trained in Muay Thai and some martial arts nowhere near to your level. But what I've loved is at every moment, even breaking down a particular movement, the lessons that I learn and can apply to life. I'm like, you know, have that penny drop moment. Oh, this this is applicable to life. You know, when you're trying to hit your hardest and that doesn't work, when you break things down to to learn the skill and be controlled and how you can apply that to being successful in your life. I love all of that and all the things that you have mentioned, I think really apply not just to business, but but all areas of people's lives. The fact that you are such a successful fighter just means that when you go into your business and you take all those skills, you can be more successful than other people because you've already done it in one area of your life. One one of the things also that I probably forgot to mention is about being resilient. I think my sport, my career has taught me to be resilient in many more aspects than one. And, you know, when you in business too, you know, negotiating in business, whatever it may be, doing business deals. It's about being resilient, you know. It's about sometimes, you know, I, I know I've done business deals in my life that I felt like someone actually asked me not, not, uh, a couple of years ago at one of my seminars, they said, what's it like doing business deals? You know, can you relate it back to your father? I said, of course I can. Sometimes doing a business deal, you're in center ring and you dictate it. And then sometimes you get your back up against the ropes with your hands around your head, covering, and you've got to weather the storm until the time's right. What a great analogy. Yeah, until the time's right for you to strike. Uh, and then when you do strike, sometimes all it needs is that one punch. Bingo. And it's a KO. <laughs> KO. So that's what I'm saying. So people say, how do you relate things? That's how I relate things. Would it be relationship issues? I say, I've said this, I've spoken to so many people about this too, you know, they've had relationship issues that we've spoken about. I said, hey, it's no different to what I do. It's just you, you, your back's up against the corner now, not against the ropes, you're in a corner. So you can't move left, you can't move right. And then you've been rained on with punches and kicks. You've just got to keep protecting yourself at all times. When the time's right, you'll be able to strike and walk out. It's just you've got to trust the process. Have faith. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive. You've got to have faith. If you don't have faith in yourself, there's not many people who are. One of the key things that I always say, social media within itself, mm-hmm. as great as it is, mm-hmm. to me is an international disaster. It, it, and I say this, we're talking about, you know, uh, we're talking about beliefs and, and disbeliefs in you know, individuals. Um, people don't see themselves as their king passion and people don't see themselves as the rock and so on and they think less of themselves. The truth of the matter is this, is that everyone within their own right can achieve greatness. I don't want to be the rock. I want to be the best version of myself. The rock's already taken. You can't fill those shoes anyway. Sam Greco's already taken. You'll never fill the shoes. People say, I want to be like you. No, you don't want to be like me. You want to be greater than me, but you want to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the sort of stuff that, that, that I highlight to people is, they look at pictures and they look at, you know, the, the glamorous stuff on TV, but the truth of the matter is no one actually sees behind the scenes until someone exposes it. And then all of a sudden, people that have been going, oh, I'll never be that, all of a sudden, they feel normal again. They go, oh, my God, she is normal. It's got to start say, somewhere. People would probably do that with you, looking from the outside in, going, oh, wow, look at your success, look at your achievement. You've been in movies, on TV, you're this world champion fighter, you know. Wow, it looks all wonderful and glamorous. 
but they don't know everything that you've dealt with behind the scenes to get there and, and your everyday challenges and your own life challenges and your health challenges are different things that we all face, but nobody likes to put them out there on a highlight reel. Mm. Imagine you, you being identically like someone else. I wouldn't so, no, exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. You could never be great if that was the fact, because there'd be two of you. Correct. And when people have asked, you know, they often ask the question, you know, who's, who's your role model? Who would you like to be like? And I just go, no one, me. I want to be just the best me. And that's something that I've felt for many, many years. I'm sure I am inspired by some people and I admire some things that they've done or some, some values or some skills that they have. But I don't want to be anyone else but me and the best version of me that I was put on this earth to be. So live out to the fullest my purpose. That's all. Mm. I don't want to be anyone else. And that way there's no comparison either because with, again, exactly. with social media, there's that comparison game constantly comparing. And it's a concern for people growing up in this generation with social media, whereas we didn't grow up with it and we're still dealing with it now. But the people who are growing up not knowing life without social media, constantly on it and they don't realize that they're constantly comparing themselves. And that is sad. So I have people come to me and go, you know, because I've competed in bodybuilding, I want to compete. And I would always ask these girls, why? Why do you want to compete? They're trying to, trying to achieve a look. A lot of the time, they're trying to achieve a look to get adoration and validation and admiration from other people. So I have no problem with competing. But my problem is you need to understand why you are doing something. Why are you pumping things into your lips? Because you want to for whatever reason or getting your ears pinned or, or having implants or doing something to physically change yourself. Why are you doing it? You're okay with why you are truly doing it. Great. But too often what I'm seeing is that people are doing it for the wrong reasons being that they're looking for external validation. And that is a dark place. It'll take you into a dark pit and it, it is not, not a good place to go. You will never get what you're looking for until you love yourself from the inside out. Look, so, you know, social media within itself, and we've seen some disastrous stuff happen through social media, people committing suicide, hmm. you know, because of um, people haven't validated what they've said or they've just bagged them on social media to, you know, the general public or worldwide. It's, and the thing is, some people can cope with it, some people can't. And like I said, it's a really dark place. Unless you've been there, you can't really comprehend what I'm, what I'm about to say. I have been in a dark place in my life, so I know what that's all about. Do I want to go back there? No, but I'm sort of glad that I, I looking back now that I did, because I appreciate it, if that makes sense, and I know what to do never to go back there. Yeah. Or if I start trending towards there, I can break away rather than, falling back in a heap. Um, so, yeah, through, through social media, as, as great as it is, you know, the kids of today, even my daughters, were, were like, you know, our oh, followers, followers, followers aren't your friends, guys. No. You know, I, my mum used to say to me, your best, you know, if you can count friends on one hand, that's five, three or four too many already. Yeah. So it's all this follower stuff and likes and this and that. And it, it's, created, it's created this false sense. It's like a false life. world. Yeah, yeah. People, and the thing is, you and I and our kids and everything else, we look at, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, not that I've got anything against it, but Kim Kardashian or The Rock or it is, oh, they've got, you know, five million followers. It's great. It's fantastic. That's great. You know, it doesn't put, you know, what I say, it doesn't put bread on the table. It doesn't make you any happier person. No. If that makes sense. But a lot of them believe that. Yeah. A lot of them have this belief in that. And, and they lose traction from the actual real world. Yeah. I say to my daughter, I said, I'm so glad I grew up in the time where I had to ride my bike to school. I had to ride my to the milk bar to go and buy milk and come home, you know? Or the, I used to see the paper boy at, at, at 5.30 in the morning throw the paper over the fence. Mm. Or there'll be milk crate at the front of my house with milk bottles. I'm so glad I grew up in those days, yeah. you know? You would never appreciate what I'm talking about, as you say, my girls. My girls are 15 and 20 now, you know? But if you grew up in that area, you understand where I'm coming from. In today, hey, 
you can get on the phone, send a message. Everyone's talking by a message. Everyone's talking by Snapchat. There's no face-to-face confrontation. As we all want to say confrontation. There's no face-to-face value, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what society is losing. And that's why I, I'm feel that the, I, I feel that if something's not done or fixed, it, it's going to be really harsh for our up-and-coming kids. You know, it's going. Yeah, it's creating a whole a whole other host of problems for for people to deal with. I mean, I noticed with my children, um, with my oldest communicating with me via text. I'm like. It, you know, you're very blunt. Like there's, it's almost like they don't know how to speak properly. I tell them to ring somewhere. My mum used to tell me, okay, ring here, do this, do that. So I learned to communicate really well. Um, the communication I'm starting to feel is lacking, even though I feel communication is very important in our home. I'm having to push it all the time because for them to get on the phone, they're like, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, speak, introduce yourself, say what you're looking for, you know, because they're used to just communicating via text. And then there's all these other little dramas and issues for, for kids and not just kids. It happens with adults all the time. Things get lost in translation when it is just by text. And, and I do love text because I can quickly do things, um, quickly communicate what I need to without having to spend time on a phone call when, when time is of the essence. It's not all bad, but yeah, there are a whole other host and gamut of problems. And I, as a parent, am most certainly concerned for the way my children are growing up. And I want to reiterate that it's not all bad. I think there are some great things um, from progress and technology, but then there are also the problems that come along with it. As good as social media and texting and messaging is, it's created life so fast, probably faster than yeah. we can process. Yeah. Okay? This is where we talk about values. Mm-hmm. You know, it's created such a Formula One race in our head that we can do 10 things at once. But the truth oh of the matter God. is this. Yeah, the truth of the matter is this. How do you process those 10 things? How do you absorb and process? You can't. So it's a little bit of everything. Whereas in my days where I had, if I had to come and see you, I'd have to come to your house, knock on your door, say, excuse me, Mrs. Smith, blah, blah, blah. It's better my home. And she said, look, she's not home. She's gone with the dad. I said, oh, can you get her to call me at home? So she'd get on, she'll do a dial. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, Sam, hun. Yeah, I'll get in for it. Just hang on, who's speaking? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And that was a communication. We had this communication. It was open. You saw facial expressions when you we were face-to-face and you actually spoke to each other, you know? And everything was so instant. Like, you know, people feel as though they have to be on all the time so i've just over this christmas holiday period i hadn't planned on it because i don't always plan on it i just went off social i mean i just didn't i just wanted to be present that's something i've been working on a lot more um over the last sort of 12 months i was like i'm having a really nice time with family and friends and lots of people around and in the pool and eating i'm just i'm not posting i'm just not doing it i'm not going to be pressured feel pressure on myself that i put on myself to do it i'm just i'm being present with my family and my friends in this period and i'm back on today and I'm fine. I'm happy to, but I do that regularly. Like, you know, every fortnight, I don't have an exact schedule. I just do it when I feel I need to. I go off on a Friday, come back on a Sunday, whatever it is that I need, because to me, it gets exhausting. Like all that information constantly and always sharing. I just go, yep, yeah, no, nope, I need it for my own mental health and for my family to not be on the phone all the time, to be here and be present with them, to be present at their soccer games, not on the phone. Sure, I might take some pictures and then put it away for later. Yeah. Just, I think that's really yeah, no, important no, no, managing it. We talk about hating traffic. I hate traffic on the roads and I hate social media traffic. It's just, and it's so fast. It's, it's bumper to bumper all the way through. And the thing is, you often ask yourself, how much of what I've seen, what I've done, have I absorbed and taken in? And it's so much, it's an influx of information. I struggled as a kid to get one thing in. Now I'm trying to get 10 or 20 things in. Come on, guys. Let's, you know, let, let, let's, let's face the reality. Look, life's, life's just become so fast, mm-hmm. so fast. Information dragged from everywhere. And you don't have time to process it. People need to be, and discipline is hard, right? Maybe not for someone who's being disciplined for a long time like yourself and fighting. It must have been difficult to start with, but, you know, you're in the habit of 
exercising discipline. A lot of people aren't for any changes. And I think discipline is required with social media and with phones. Like I won't instantly reply to people, even if I've read a message, because I'm in the middle of doing something. It isn't a priority right now. It doesn't mean they aren't a priority, but my priority is here and now with my kids or my priority is with the client or the preparation I'm doing to get ready to, um, to speak to someone who's sharing their time with me like mm-hmm. yourself. So I'm not going to be instantly available and people have to learn and exercise discipline in putting do not disturb onto people because it's here to stay. It just is. So we have to find ways to manage our lives and still have full lives without it. Cause you said it's constantly coming at you and, and it gets a, exhausting when you've got all of that coming at you. And if you're on it all the time, you do start to compare yourself. You do start taking on all of that. If you take a minute away, you, you realize, oh, why am I thinking that? Why am I feeling down? Oh, there's not enough likes on that. Oh, quick, go and delete that. I know people who go and delete things if it didn't get enough engagement and then go again. And I'm like, why are you really doing this? So I think discipline is important. Turning your, do not disturb on you, um, turning your notifications off. So I sit here at my desk and I turn the notifications off on my, on my Mac so that I'm not disturbed. I put my phone in the other room because even when it's on silent, it flashes and it gets my attention. So when I need to work, I'll put a timer on. If I don't want to be disturbed, I'll put a timer on for like, I don't know, an hour or an hour and 20 minutes each hour, put it out of the room. So there's no flash, turn everything off and I get so much done. But when it's here and I'm like trying to do like 500 things at the same time, I don't do anything well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. I'll tell you what was interesting. I grabbed one of my daughter's phones and they only recently just 2015, they only recently got social media because they were all at school. Um, so we're quite strict with that. And, um, and then, look, they had no problem. They, they did very academically, they did very, very well. One's just graduated at university now. I saw that. Yeah, she's graduated at university. The other one's in year 11. So, so they got social media, but it's interesting to see, because on the, on, the, on the iPhones, you can actually check on how many hours or how long they've spent on a certain app, mm-hmm. Snapchat and Instagram. You'd be amazed, four or five hours. Where the hell? You're not going to get those four or five hours back. Yeah. That's a day. Taking pictures and liking things, you know? You understand what I'm saying? So give me two and a half hours back out of those five hours. Keep your two and a half hours on social media and productively do something for yourself for two and a half hours. Healthy masculinity. With mental health issues, there are so many men committing suicide. Everybody knows someone who's got a mental health issue. What are your thoughts on healthy masculinity? What is a healthy man and what is healthy masculinity to you? So for people who haven't looked at um, looked Sam up yet, and this is an audio recording, Sam, as you know, is a world champion. He's a fighter. He's a big guy. He's a, you know, a manly looking man if you want to be stereotypical. So what does Sam Greco say about healthy masculinity? I think predominantly healthy masculinity, it's number one is looking after yourself, looking after yourself. And, and I say just with the physical comes the mental. One of, one of the biggest things that I've found, even through, through my works, has been able to physically do it, but make it mentally engaging and makes me, makes me mentally stronger. I think is understanding what you're doing. If I said to you, my, my training or my, my career, even though as hard as they were, they're therapeutic, would you believe me? Yeah, I would believe you. Yeah, and, that's, and to me, it's in, in order for you to, um, to create what you want to create is, and through what you're doing, and you, you've got to understand how you're going to treat it. For me, it's therapy. People say, well, how do you do it, Sam? You know, it, don't training sessions make you tired? Yeah, they do. But it's therapeutic. It makes me leave the world and get into my own little world. It makes me feel good about myself. It makes me want to go out and talk to people. You know, makes me want to do things. Makes me want to engage with people. What do you like when you don't train? Well, perhaps I'm not that more, that interactive as I am when I do. After I finish. So having an outside, having an escape, I think is a secret. And my escape is my sport. My escape is my training. My escape is what I do to look after myself. Yeah. I'm beyond fighting now. The lessons I've learned through fighting is 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 you know I am today, where I am today because of the lessons I've learned through fighting. But now I use it as therapeutical. I use it as as an outlet. 
And that's what I say. A lot of people will have problems. Every single one of us have problems. But even through my campaign, I use the slogan, your, your battle is my battle. We fight together. I'm here for people. I'd like them to be there for me too, in need. But there's probably not enough of that around. No, but you're doing an amazing job in spreading that message. So for people who want to connect with you, I'm going to drop down in the notes where they can connect with you. But if you would like to share um, with our listeners the best place to find and connect with you and speak with yeah, you. The, be- the, best, the best place to connect with me is through my website, www.sandreco.com.au. Uh, just click on the links there and, um, yeah, I'll be more than happy to talk to anyone out there. And like I said, you know, through just a simple conversation or a simple hello, the world can be achieved for anyone. Before we go, do you have a parting message or something that you would say to people who want to make a change in their life now and just aren't really sure where to start? What would you say for them to do? Well, first and foremost, I'd like to say to those listeners out there, irrespective of how good or how bad your day is, you are great. And that's all that matters. But you need to think that and believe that at the end of the day. You are greatness. You are on this world. You do offer something to this world. Every single person does. So, you know, every day, just challenge yourself. Be the best version of yourself you can, for you possibly can. If you're finding it hard to grasp that knowledge or or, or grasp the idea of what I'm telling you, you know, there's people like myself, yourself too, Fatima, and many other people out there. You can resource them and and just chat to people. No harm in chatting to people. My doors are open. It has been absolutely a pleasure and an honour to have you on this interview. I know that people will take so much out of it. Much thanks to you and we will definitely be talking again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I truly hope you have found it beneficial and have taken some value from it. Hopefully a lot. If you did, please, please share this show with anyone you feel may need to hear it. I would also absolutely love if you would take a minute or two to review this show on iTunes, Stitcher or whichever platform you happen to be listening to it on. With your help, we can accomplish my mission to positively impact 10 million lives. That would be so awesome. Now, if you want to connect with me or my guests on other platforms, or if you want to send me an email with questions or ideas of guests to interview, please check out the show notes. I am so incredibly grateful to have had your time today, and I can't wait to have you on the next episode. Have a great day.